You're listening to a talk podcast special. We're trying something totally different this time. We're actually in a pub. Where are we, James? We're in the Mount Stewart Mount Cardiff Stewart Bay. In Cardiff Bay. The, 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 the voice you can hear that is, is that of James Easton, who's come up to see me for a few days. And, a few days. And um, you're, you're from the south coast, James. You've come up yes, from... Yes, come up from Worthing, down on the south coast, Sussex coast, beautiful Sussex coast. Yeah. I've come to visit the Welsh coast. You have, and it's always a pleasure to see you here yeah, because we've, been, we've always got plenty to talk about. And we thought, you know, our thinking was, me and James, we never stop talking when we meet up. And it kind of feels a shame not to share at least a little bit of it with you. Yeah, so, a little bit of our goss and our blethering on for a few hours. That, that, that's right. get it down to a so few it's, minutes. It's quite a, quite a cosy Tuesday evening here. We're drinking, just so you're fully in on this, the Glamorgan Brewery in Clantricent, which is where the Royal Mint is, where all the money in your wallet is you printed. You take me there one time. I will saying, take you there. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember you said Which that is not far at all from where my grandfather is from. And we are drinking... Jemima's Pitchfork, which is, how would you describe it, James? A very, Cheers. A very light sort of pale um, ale. Pale ale, I mm. think. I don't even know what the percentage is. What's it saying on there? Uh, it doesn't matter what the percentage is. But I think it's, percentage, fa- it's fairly yeah, it's it's quite quite light. light. It, it is a light. A session ale, but I think. It, we can but probably it's, have a few of these and sink a few. It's very pleasant. And the Glamorgan Brewery is one of these microbreweries that's really come into its own this last few years. Um, and I, I would say that this is, this is a decent pint. Usually the brains we go for, but there's none on tap tonight, so we thought we'd try something different. And I'm glad we did because yeah, it's, it's quite good. Nice, what big... was the other one I had earlier? The Welsh ale. The Welsh ale. Yeah, the but Welsh it was pale, also it was. also from Jemima's Brewery. But we, we've had a bit of an emotional day, haven't we? Because um, I took James to see the Cardiff City Stadium, and obviously this will be serious for a moment. The, the death of uh, Miliano Sala is still very fresh in our minds, isn't it, James? Yeah, and we've seen them all over the news, but Marcus's idea as we were driving past was to go and have a little look at the uh, the memorials, which were fantastic, the memorials out there, thousands and thousands of flowers and shirts from different clubs around the UK and even the world, I think, that we see. Uh, there, from, uh, there were, we saw, well, what I would first of all say is one of the things that struck me, first of all, is a very emotional sight because yeah. there were football shirts, scarves, memorabilia, largely from Cardiff City but also from other clubs across Britain and indeed the world and there were also lots of daffodils the Welsh flower the daffodil and, yeah. and the yellow flower was something we saw at Southampton last weekend that's become the symbol of remembrance for this as well but you know it is still very fresh in the memories mm. that very sadly the body of the pilot has, has not yet been has not yet been found and, and there is still a charity donation going on so they can pay for private funding so that well, hopefully I hope they will because they did it for the footballer and he's luckily been found uh, the body's been found I hope they yeah. continue the funding for the um, I, I, I think so but as Neil Warnock said I, we all know Neil Warnock is a controversial character no one's pretending otherwise but I think he's handled this last few weeks with tremendous dignity mm-hmm. and I think we've seen a very good side to him the way he's, he's gone about things um, and he has said this. he's been in management 40 years he's over 70 years of age now this is the most difficult few weeks he's had and having witnessed what we saw today it you, found you can it, understand why yeah. it gets emotional. You have to take a few minutes to just be quiet and sit back and mm. think, well, hang on a second, this is actually more important than life. You go through life, you think, this guy's a footballer. Mm. And the fact that Nantes have come out with this week, this past week, asking for the transfer we'll fee, come, we'll come I on think to it's quite disgusting, we'll, we'll, really. We'll come on to that in a moment, because you, you are correct. But what got me was, obviously, Cardiff City is a team with a number of famous rivals, and, and there were Bristol City shirts there. So you can put your rivalries to one side and think, you know, we are all human beings at the end of the day. And this has affected the whole football community, mm. I think. And I think that's something that's come across a huge amount this last few weeks. They say, we've all felt it. You've felt it as a Charlton fan. Um, yeah. yeah, it has. It's very the, sad. I've seen the, it all over the news. This is a, well, what, a 28-year-old man, a top, top scorer with Nantes. How many goals did he get for Nantes? Uh, he, he was superb at that level. I mean, the French league, we know about Paris Saint-Germain well, dominating it. was a bargain it. for 15 mil. I think any sort of yeah. striker that's... Uh, obviously, a club mm. deemed up the Premier League quality being signed for yeah. 50 million. That's what um, Alan Shearer went for. No, it's 5 million. He went for those years ago. No, no, no. It, the, the famous one I remember, and being a little bit older than you, this is one of the advantages. Last year I was in primary school. Andy Cole went from Newcastle to Manchester United for 8 million. Oh, 8 million. I remember Shearer was 15 million. Was it 15 yeah, yeah, I remember from that one. Blackburn to Newcastle. That was, that was in the aftermath of Euro 96. Yeah, it was after, yeah. yeah. Was it this window of the Euro 96? Uh, it just just after, I, I just, believe it was, yes. Just I, the end of August. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think it was. Did um, they used to have a window then? I can't remember. No, then, no, didn't, no, didn't they? no, they didn't. What it was is there was, you could transfer whenever you liked. The, the transfer window didn't open and close. That was actually, I think I'm right in saying that was an EU ruling that came in in the early 2000s. And they said there'll be a window in the summer and a window between um, 
midnight on on New Year's Eve till the end of January, mm. and that's Which been is the worst window in the world. Uh, and that's been the pattern. It's followed. Well, this particular window has been fairly. Did you lose anyone from Cardiff at that time? I don't think we did. We no. lost our one of our key strikers, Carlin Grant, to Huddersfield. I, I, um, I don't, last last yeah. minute of the window and. For anyone that knows me and knows and the plight of Charlton, it wasn't a good thing when the owner turns around and says there's no more money for anyone to replace him. So all that money, where's that money gone? Yeah, well, there's a lot we could say about Charlton, and indeed we might in a few moments' time. But the, the situation we were in here in, in Cardiff, it, this guy was coming here and he was due to try and make his mark. Can he make it at Premier yeah, League yeah, level? Yeah. And then, I, I'll tell you, I, haven't, I don't think I've told you this already. I went to bed late the night before, and I had LBC Radio on. What, on the um, transfer deadline? Right? Uh, no, no, this, this was... Before you announced uh, Salah? Uh, when Salah had signed, and yeah. then he'd gone back to say cheerio to his friends Nons, in yeah. Nantes. And I went to bed, LBC Radio, and I, I listened to the on the top of the hour news bulletin, and it was a light aircraft has gone missing in the English Channel. And I thought, oh God, that doesn't sound very good. Very sad, obviously, but thought no, not much more of it and went to sleep put Nick Ferrari's excellent breakfast show on uh, in the morning Cardiff City striker Emiliano Sala was the person on that flight and I that shook me up a bit I can I be think honest that with night, you was that because you go to bed obviously very late at night whereas yeah. I go to bed still quite late but yeah. you know one two I in the morning think I, I think did that, that day, night actually, I think yeah. that night it came out that there had been a plane crash but no one was known no that, that was it That's, and it was yeah, the following morning you're, you're that right. they found out that you're was right the, yeah. and I, I, you know, I had Nick Ferrari's breakfast show on and the news bulletin and it shook me up I thought oh good grief you know this is this is quite quite some story this um, and well what can you say really you know this is a guy in the prime of his life he visited Cardiff the previous weekend he'd done all, all that was asked of him and one of the things that got me is that at times like this rivalries are put to one side and I, 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 I would like to say sincerely thank you to Bristol City fans for that lovely gesture we saw on the ground with that signed shirt would Swansea not have been a closer rival than Bristol? I well, don't really know about the history. Historically, no, because... Is Bristol closer than... Well, well it's not so much that. It's that up until about the 1970s, Swansea were nowhere near us. We were not in the same oh, leagues. Oh, in terms of the leagues and everything like um, that. Yeah. The rise of Swansea is an interesting story because it was John Toshak when he was part of Bill Shankly's Liverpool team. He was let go when he was in his late 20s. Yeah. And he came to Swansea as player-manager. And John Toshak was seen as a very bright young player-manager at that time. Um, and he still played himself in most games at that period. And he, they, they became known in the early 80s as Liverpool reserves because he got players like... Um, but on loan. And... Uh, largely, yeah. Um, Kennedy came over on loan when he was Ray Kennedy towards the end of his career. One or two others, I think, before I was born, this was. And then, because Cardiff City was somewhat in the doldrums and Swansea were on the way up, we were in the same league for a period, and then that's when the Cardiff-Swansea rivalry became more intense. But historically, I, I think you could argue that the Cardiff-Bristol City rivalry... I always would have thought countrywide, but I guess if there's a distance, it's like... Seven-side, mm. seven-side, opposite side for years, seven We never really had a proper rival because of us being in the Premier League as Charlton. Mm. <clears throat> Go down to uh, the Championship and we have Crystal Palace... Yeah. straight away and then Millwall and such but now we're lower than them so what our traditional rivals at the moment I'd say would be AFC Wimbledon yeah sure because of a little bit of history when we had Carl Robinson as our manager obviously yeah. um, MK Don's MK manager Dons, of course, yeah. AFC Wimbledon hate MK Don yeah. because of obvious reasons of the mm. franchise mm. and then uh, obviously when you play them they're mm. booing and shouting and effing and blinding at <coughs> Carl Robinson so that's giving them a bit of a um, rivalry there but I guess in terms of London Derby hmm. trying to think of it at the moment I think that could be one of League One's only London Derbies I'm thinking I, I think we've got a kind yeah. of Kent Derby yeah we call it the A2 Derby because that's just down the A2 we've got Gillingham yeah um, but apart from that I can't really think who a rival would be really apart from that in the league at the moment but obviously we're hope, hoping next season hmm. everything goes right we get promoted and go to um go to uh, Palace get relegated we have that rivalry back we yeah. have Millwall because Millwall are struggling at the moment well we have a big rivalry with Millwall ourselves here in Cardiff yeah, that's because of the naughty boys but, well uh, again the intercity I, I don't really I, I don't want to get too much into this now because we're going a little bit off where we wanted to go with this discussion but Millwall the hooliganism of the 70s and 80s there's a book by David Jones and Tony Rivers about the soul crew the Cardiff City hooligans and a lot of the rivalry was between Cardiff City and Millwall in terms of who were the bigger thugs in this country at that time. Um, so 
it's, it, it's, it's a difficult one. Who are the biggest rivals? Now, I would say arguably the last few seasons, we haven't been in the same league as many of our rivals for a lot of the time. Millwall, yes, in the Championship. Swansea were in the Premier League for a long time. Yeah, and, and we missed each other. We missed each time. other, yep. Um, um, you were... When was the last time you and Swansea were in the same league? Oh, uh, nearly ten years ago now. Well, it would be when Swansea were on the way up. Can't go over down to League One. Very much so. Yeah. Oh, good grief! Did we yes. play you in League One? I'm not, no, I don't look, think we look, did. J- James, let me tell you this. You may not remember it, but my memories of the 1990s, right up until about 98, 99, were all probably beyond that. 2000, 2001, in fact, were all in the lower two tiers. Mm. I have been in crowds at Ninian Park many times of below 2000. And where were you today in Ninian Park? I was on... Uh, this is a wonderful story. I've got to tell this story, actually. I was on the centre of the pitch. I was yeah. on the centre... Because there's now so a for house... for those that don't know, there's a housing estate opposite Cardiff City Stadium, where the old Ninian Park was. Yeah. And uh, today I said to Marcus, he was giving me stick for being a soft southerner because I was raining outside and I didn't want to walk. And then I say to him, right, let's go outside. You go and stand in the fix. I reckon there's a garden in front of these houses that's got the centre circle because from experience of looking into it, I think um, the old Dell Stadium in Southampton, closer to where I am, they've got development there. They've got the centre circle marked out. Didn't you say the Roker, Roker Park in Sunderland and Middlesbrough? The old, I can't what was that ground called? Ayrson Park. Ayrson Park. Ayrson Park. Ayrson Park. Those yeah. that have been turned into houses have also got the centre I, I circle. I think they have. So Someone Marcus, will correct me on this. So I drove Marcus there. He got out of the car. And, and there what did it you was. see? Well, it looked, it looked what like... What did it a, say? Have you it, got it on it, I, I have. It looked like a drain cover. It looked a little bit like a drain cover. It had a lot of words on it, actually. Um, it, 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 was, it, was, it was an impressive but subtle work of art. Um, let me just dig this out. Here we go. Let's see if I can even zoom in. I haven't in. even seen this yet because I was in the car staying warm. This site marks the spot on Ninian Park where all games... Commenced. See, this is all real stuff, this, guys. This is, a, this is actually a very complex plaque to read. Um, it, it's wonderful. I'll show it to James because he hasn't seen it. But it, it goes it into a huge amount of detail. Red Row Homes, South Wales. Yeah, you won't, you won't get into right, all that. But what, what this is. I'm is, sure it, we could probably look on it online and it'll be written out somewhere. It, it's, yeah. it is the centre point, the centre point, the, the kickoff place, right in the middle of a housing estate. And it's a slightly eerie feeling, you know, because I, I associate that with so many memories of the Bob Bank and the Grange End and the Canton Stand and the Grandstand and the old family enclosure. And to see it now, and to think that is the centre point and what used to be there and what's there well, it's now. Like the only place I've seen is the old Brighton ground. Although I'm not a Brighton fan, obviously that's near to where I live. Mm. And uh, that's now a retail park. And there's mm. not even a centre circle marked out, which is a shame. Mm. And I don't. I was never in the area when it was all shut down and closed and built over and demolished. But yeah. I heard it was many years of plight that Brighton, um, Brighton uh, endured that period. But hey, that's it. But looking at rivalries on Brighton, You've got to get into your non-league football markets because that's where it's at. Right, well, Brighton, I would say, wouldn't Brighton fans say that their biggest rivals are Palace? Palace? Yeah, they would say they're Palace. They're Palace, yeah. but then in terms of... Previously, because obviously Palace were kind of always in the sort of higher division to Brighton. Yeah. This is talking, I'm just talking out of my Except, I hang, really on, hang on, it must have the early 80s, Brighton had a good side, they mm. reached the cup final. But then you could say probably a lot of rivalries now are sort of, you can say maybe Mondeo, Southampton, mm. South Coast... Portsmouth back in the day because it's South Coast it's all those South Coast derbies mm. to be fair mm. and even Gillingham of some sorts because they obviously shared Gillingham Stadium for a couple they of years did, they did because I remember this period very well I remember the well, old chat out the Goldstone the, the Goldstone ground well we know what happened there and how Dick Knight saved the club yeah, yeah, in yeah. that period and they, they, they were forced to move to um, Gillingham Stadium weren't they mm-hmm. was it, was it Priestfield's it called Priestfield's yeah Priestfield's yeah, that, yeah that's right then they moved to the Withdean and I remember when they moved to the Withdean which is essentially an athletic stadium mm. in, in quite an affluent part of town. And, well, kind of. It, it, it's ish. It's well, not, it's not the nicest the, part, I remember they had all sorts of stipulations about what they could and couldn't do at that time. I remember they said there will not be music blasting out at half-time. Mm. Um, we're going to read poetry over the tannoy. And that actually happened. Never heard that. It, it <laughs> did. And they, they said at the end of each match, um, we're looking for volunteers to pick up the rubbish. Oh, that wins by that, Brian. We, 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 leave, we leave it as we found it. And then, obviously, the, the Widdean, they ended up staying there for some considerable time. And then there was the big, um, the, the big controversy over building that, actually, a very beautiful stadium that I've been past more than once. And that's where all the glory boys came out of the closet. Well, then, uh, well, well, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. 
When it, on the subject of glory, boys, I have been at Ninian Park in crowds well below 2,000. Yeah, like it was at the Wifty. Yeah, where have the other 22,000 come from? I, I do often wonder it's the same that. for that, but I mean, fair yeah. enough, it, it, it engages the next generation. Uh, yeah, and you've got to. To be serious, yeah, you've I mean, got it's like, to. Yeah. It's like the Valley. When Charlton were in the Premier League, we were selling that ground. 27,700 people. Mm. The marketing campaign wasn't the best. It said, where else can you see Premier League football for this cheap? So fans were getting tickets of bigger clubs. As soon as we get relegated, we lose 10,000 straight away. And okay. obviously the plight of Roman de Châtelet over the last few years has made it even less. We're getting less than 10,000. Let me ask you a question. I can't talk about the modern era, but until about the late 1990s, which British football club had qualified for um, Europe more than any other? And the answer is Liverpool, right? Who was second? Not in Forest? No, 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 no. You're not going to get it. So no, right. the answer is Cardiff City. Oh, really? And the reason is there used to be. Well, yeah. it's, it still technically exists. It was about Wales or something. There was a Welsh Cup. Yeah. And I went to a number of Welsh Cup finals, and it used to be. Where was it? The, uh, the old, Arms the old, Park. the old National Stadium, as was. Next to Cardiff Arms Park, is it? Yeah, where the where called. the Millennium now is, the old yeah, National yeah. Stadium. And what what happened was it would be the the, the, the three football league clubs as then were Cardiff, Swansea, and Wrexham plus the best of non-league, plus the best of the League of Wales. And Cardiff City used to win that competition quite regularly, which would get you into the... European. Either the UEFA Cup or... The, no, it was the, either the UEFA Cup or the Cup Winners' Cup. Never got anywhere, mind you, because, you know, we were what we would now call a League, a league I might 2 team. I might lie, but I think... I, I might be wrong, and I should know as a Charlton fan, but I don't think we've ever qualified for Europe. Never? And I think the reason... The season we... It was our best ever season in the Premier League. We mm. finished seventh. Mm. That was the season Scott Parker got poached by Chelsea. We know all about that. Window. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the only reason we didn't get to Europe? Yeah. It's because of bloody Millwall. Yeah. Because they got to the final of the FA Cup. And the runners-up of the FA Cup, if the winners are already in the Champions League or UEFA places in the Premier League... That sound you can hear, by the way, is James putting right. a pound in the swear box. <laughs> who, who, was it, who, was it, who was it they played that year? Was it Arsenal? In that FA Cup final? Yeah, United won it. Was it United? I think it, uh, I remember Let's it. have a look. Um, but uh, saying that, though, if we're talking about rivalries, if, if it was turned in terms of league, hmm. um, Brighton's real rivals would be my, my newest... Favorite football club. We're going to come Worthing. on to that. We're going to come on to that in so, a sec. But I want to have the final word, if I may, on the Welsh Cup situation, because I attended some. It was called the Albright Bitter Welsh Cup in the 1990s, and there was um, it was at the National Stadium. And one year we played Rill, another year we played Barry Town. Winner gets a place in the European competitions, and I, and I, I remember that very well. But do you know the story? I don't know if I've ever discussed this with you. Of the formation of the League of Wales in the 1990s. I'll pause you there. It was Manchester United 3 0 nil at the Millennium Stadium, known as the Principality Stadium, just down the road. I win, I win. <laughs> now, do, do you know what the story was, right? You know the full, the full truth about, obviously, Cardiff, Swansea, Wrexham were football league clubs. And in the early 1990s, the Football Association of Wales sought to create a League of Wales when a guy called Alan Evans, who's been dead a few years now, was what they called Secretary General of the FAW at the time. And this was hugely controversial because there were a number of teams at non-league level who were Welsh, um, who were played in non-league and were asked to resign from that and join the League of Wales. And some of them didn't want to. And there was a good reason why you might not want to. Because if you've got ambitions of making it into the English League pyramid system... Not necessarily straight away, but at some point in the distant future, you do not want to be in the League of Wales. Now, the plus advantage of the League of Wales is if you win it, you're in the Champions League qualifiers. If you come second or third, you are in well, you know, various times. The yeah. rules have changed, but you wait for cup and what have you. What's it now? Europa League. Actually. Yeah, yeah it, it, so, it yeah. would be. But you know, you, if that happens, yeah. you don't get a summer break because you, you're off to you're you off to play. Like, you got a week off and then you're, you're, back you're off to you're off to yeah you're off to play the the win. Gibraltarian yeah it, like, it, it, league it, winners. It really is like that, and you know there's yeah. World Cups going on and they're still playing these matches. It does happen at that point in the summer. But so what happened was there were certain clubs that didn't want to join the League of Wales. Newport County 
went out of the Football League in the late 1980s when they went bust. Yeah. And they reformed as AFC Newport. And this is poignant, we're talking about this, because they play in Manchester City in the FA Cup this coming weekend. Oh, are they? oh yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, because they beat Middlesbrough <coughs> in the Cup replay. Okay, and they beat, is it at City or is it at and, and No, they're coming down to the Rodney Parade Stadium. And they also beat, Leic- they, they beat Leicester City in the previous round, which was on BBC One one Sunday afternoon. As you know, because I know you were watching it. But what happened was Newport, the old Newport County went out of business and they reformed as AFC Newport. And when they reformed, they had ultimate ambitions of making it back into the English league system. And Alan Evans, the reason he was so keen on forming the League of Wales is he felt that if it didn't happen, Wales would lose its status as a FIFA international team because FIFA would, would try and push us into a Great Britain team. Yeah, yeah. So he felt he had to form a League of Wales, but that made him enemies. And in the end, Newport were forced out of Wales. They had to play their matches in Gloucester and anywhere over the border. Um, and it, it, was, it was hugely controversial. But in the end, there was, there was court cases and threats of court cases. Newport County, or Newport, AFC Newport as they were at the time, what are they now? They're back to Newport County okay. again now. They, because cause they went bust and had to reform, yeah, they, they couldn't call themselves. Yeah, while, yeah. Merthyr Tidfil, who ended up going bust and reforming of Merthyr, as Merthyr Town, and Colwyn Bay all stayed in the English non-league system. Now, there's two reasons why you might want to do that. One is if you've ever got ambitions of making it into the English pyramid, you would, you would want to stay put. And the other is that... <laughs> You know the regional nature of non-league football. If you are in, um, for example, if you are in Newport... Sorry, I just have to pause you, and this will be funny. This, I, I can, in my eye line right now, yeah. the peripheral vision, I can see this girl who, um, the selfie generation, I would say, is literally posing for a pint of drink, pouting her lips, as you can imagine, with her phone right in front of her, mm. and every sort of different angle to see... What kind of different angle she did for drink? And I'm sorry, it's really putting me off, Marcus, but I apologise. Look at me instead, funny. I'm a much prettier sight. Yeah, but when it's in your peripheral vision, you can see something. Yeah, I, I noticed you were looking somewhat mm. distracted. Mm. I, I, and I can see Sky <laughs> well, News in the background know. in somebody's oh, flat. Yeah. That's, that's what I can well, see. It's a shame you can't see someone else going on in a flat, but you know. Well, going back to where I was at, you, you know this, James, going, to, yeah. going back to the non league system, yeah, yeah. it's regional. And it is much easier if you are living in Newport or if you are living in Merthyr. Mm to um, travel to places like Gloucester and Worcester than it is to travel to North Wales. So there, there was another factor there as well. But we've now got a situation where actually Newport, for all Alan Evans, and Alan Evans was seen as a hate figure in Newport for a period, towards the end of his life he started going to some of their matches again. Um, and he actually got a reasonable welcome as I understand it. He was seen as the enemy. But things worked out alright because now they're back in are League Two? League Two. League Two, yeah. Well, they were, they were in League One, weren't they? They, they got, got relegated. They, they got right? relegated, yeah. Because yeah. it wasn't that long ago. They were in um, conference, weren't Yeah, they? that's right. And they, they got two or three years ago? More like than that, about years? five, six now. And then it, they end up getting promoted um, in, into, into League One. you look at like Torquay, aren't they down in Conference South? Well, well, there's so many teams that have gone that way. Conference South, um, what was the team? Hall- Halifax I Town went bust. Halifax Town went bust, yeah. Charlton won the league mm. when we were in League One. I think Stockport, mm. they were down, they, they were in League One. Now they're in Conference North. Mm. Mm. Was it was it Vanarama North or whatever it's called now? Yeah, yeah. but there, there's so many examples of this, of, of teams going out the Football League. Halifax Town went bust and had to reform. And obviously, was that, what was the, the Darlington with their big old Stadium, that George glory, George yeah. Reynolds, the Reynolds Arena. Is now, it's now a rugby stadium. Yeah. They've turned well, it into rugby for Darlington Rugby. You know, you know the one that sticks in my mind? The merger that created Rushton and Diamonds. They ended up in the Football League. Dean Dean Park was it? They're, they're called something like that. Neen Park was it? Something. Rushton Neen Park. Neen Park. Sounds like it rings a bell. But they, they built this brand new spanking stadium, which was the owner of Doc Martins, Dr. Martins. Um, oh, really? Max, what, Max, Max Griggs, I think his name was. Dr. Martins Stadium? No, 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 just look up on your phone. Neen Park is in Peterborough. No, not Neen oh. Park then. Um, let's see. Rushton and Diamond Stadium. I'm not far off here. So, no, there's pe- there'll be people listening to this. There'll be, pe- there'll be people shouting at this, um, at the, at, at this podcast yeah, now I'm saying sure. that's the name of it when we're seconds away from finding um, out. It was, no, it was called Neen Park. Neen, it yeah. was called Neen Park, yeah, I was, was right. Yeah. Good old wiki sorting out. So, Neen Park, Earthling Borough. Yeah, so they, that was only built in the 1990s and it was a lovely stadium. 
but then Rushton and Diamonds went bust and that stadium has now been demolished um, so you can see can't you that, that there's a number of clubs that have gone out of the football league never to return or hey not to return any time soon demolished on the 12th of May 2017 yeah so you, you, you've got Rushton Diamonds. For a small you, stadium, it looked very nice. It, it was nice. It, it was modern. Yeah, it was modern. It was plush. But again, they just never had the following. And it, there was always apparently a rivalry. <laughs> sure, mate, again. <laughs> there, there was always apparently a rivalry yeah. between the, the two clubs that emerged. Same with Dagenham and Redbridge. I gather there's a rivalry to this day. Yeah, well, Fan, fans who were yeah. fans of Dagenham. Yeah, fans of, fans yeah. of Red, Old Redbridge. Ford country over there. But you now, um, you, you've become quite a fan of Worthing. Um, Worthing FC at non Yeah, because it costs 10 quid to get in. Yeah, but I you can have a beer on the pitch, beer at the stand. It's got a really nice feel to the place. Hmm. I mean, I first knew about Worthing from, well, obviously the Undateables, which is that Channel 4 programme. No, no, no. no, and, no. Uh, let, and let, they, let's explore this in more depth. Yeah, well, the, the Channel 4 programme, the Undateables, and it was a guy called George. I can't remember his surname, but he, um, he was a player for them. Hmm. And he had an accident, a car accident, I think it was. I might be wrong. Mm. There's a car accident, and he got a big payout, which he bought the club because they're in financial he, let's be, ruin. Let's be clear, he's, he's paralysed, isn't he? Paralysed, yeah. He's in a wheelchair. They're in financial <laughs> ruin, and he put his money into the club. He set up another bug, uh, club called, I think, Worthing, Worthing Town FC. Mm. And then he realised that Worthing, the Worthing FC, the original Worthing Football Club, was in financial bother. Mm. And um, took them over, and they've now got a new 3G pitch, which has been a couple of years old. Yeah, I think it was last season that they um, had a few problems with that at the beginning, and they had to postpone. They had to play a lot of their home matches away from home. Yeah, um, and then this year they are currently just hovering around the playoffs. Mm. So it's going to be a good running. But at the end of the day, I look at it, and I'm always going to be a Charlton fan, no matter what. I mm. love Charlton heart and heart. But for me, it cost me a good. I drive up there, it's a good 20, 30 quid in petrol probably. Yeah. It's then a good 20, 30 quid for a ticket. You get some beer money, mm. you get some food. You're looking at probably near enough 100 quid a day. And there's nothing wrong with that on the odd occasion. Mm. And it may sound wrong, but then I can go five minutes down the road to a non-league ground. I can have a beer with my mate. Mm. I can uh, watch a game for a tenner. Yeah. Get in, have a beer next to a pitch. A beer is very reasonably priced, three quid, three quid a beer. Mm. And I look at that and I think, well, why not? Why not? But let, and let, the atmosphere is let's, amazing. Let's explore this in a little bit more depth then, because this owner, this, this chap you're referring to, you think now that's quite a brave thing to do. So he is, his, yeah, life is, money, yeah. his life has... His life has... Let's dig deep on this, to use a cliche. His life had been turned on its head. He got his compensation payout. Now, logically, you think, oh, he's going to use that to adapt his home and if he needs care and rehab. I think he did that as well, yeah. yeah. But then he invested in a football club. yeah. And it worked. This is the thing. And, it it yeah. did work. And Googling it and looking into it a bit, I think they did a lot of crowdfunding mm. to get the stand up and everyone was donating 10, 20 quid mm. and they've done the stands up. The stands are actually, okay, you look at the stand and think, well, it's quite an old looking ground. They've got one main stand with a clubhouse mm. underneath but you look inside and it's actually a very nice clubhouse. The seats have all been done, the front of it mm. and it's working quite well because a few good results yeah. and they could be in the Conference South which mm. is the highest they've ever been mm. which mm. in theory is two steps away from league football yeah I know two I know. promotions away from the league too but this, I, was, I was chatting to a, a friend of mine about this recently and there's a certain charm to non-league football and you've touched on it already I find mod, compared to where we were in the 90s now don't get me wrong I don't look back on the 90s in Cardiff with rose-tinted spectacles I was in crowds of 2,000 people we were in what we now call League 2 or League yeah, yeah. 1. Minion Park was So where's the nearest non-league to where we are here? Right, this is what I'm going to come on to in a sec. But first of all, I would say, this, with the success of Cardiff City, first of all, there's not a single Premier League club that's owned by a British person anymore. They're not? No. no. Brighton? Who's on, who owns that? I'm not sure, but I don't think they're foreign. Certainly last season, the season before last, before Brighton got promoted, it was... Um, is, is it still Mr Bloom? Got a feeling it's Tony Bloom. Yeah, yeah. Tony Bloom. Tony yeah. Bloom. Yeah, it's Tony Bloom. Well, they're the exception. So it's Brighton the exception. Right. Even, even if even if I've missed yeah, one I mean, out, I never thought about that. Before. Yeah. Even if I've missed one out, I there are no other clubs that are owned by Brits. So, okay. Palace, American, aren't they? American. Well, well, you've got Susanna Reid's boyfriend as chairman there. They're, I think they're American investors, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, they would be. Yeah. Fulham's obviously. Yeah, um, we know about we that. Know about yeah. Fulham, the Mr. yeah. He's going to dominate world wrestling, apparently. Tony. Tony Khan. Yeah, that's the guy. But um, we're not we're not missing anything out, are we? 
So yeah, I never thought about it, but it's true. Yeah, so you've got a situation now where okay, the Cardiff Spurs, Spurs Daniel Levy, Daniel Levy at Spurs. Where's he from? But is someone else backing him? They've got a brand new stadium. What's paid for that? I think they're just very free with their money. Daniel Levy. Well, he, that that stadium has been paid for somehow or other. Oh, well, that stadium's never going to open this, right? <laughs> it is a lovely stadium, a actually. <laughs> oh, I, I do like that stadium. Right, it's got a bit of character the to it. Owners of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club mm-hmm. or or E N I C International Limited. Now let's go on their page. Yeah, is. Wiki is your well, friend. Phil. It is a British investment company. Right. I mean, focus on the sports media sectors. But it's Bahamas registered. There so you go. It might be British owned, but yeah. it's in theory it's in the Bahamas okay. tax. Okay, so that that doesn't really tax paradise. Yeah, yeah, we can see where we're heading with that one. But okay, uh, let's not be rose tinted spectacles. Uh, the Cardiff City Stadium may not have the atmosphere of Ninian Park, but in terms of facilities, it's way ahead. Would you say that Welsh leagues, that the actual Welsh league, mm. Welsh Premier League, is similar to what a non-league atmosphere would be like? Because from what I've seen, Marcus sends me clips from time to time from S4C of Saturday night football on the uh, right. on, on the uh, right. what's it called the program. It's Scorio. It's Scorio on S4C. It's Saturday prime time. Yeah, what, what, what it is, I'll, I'll finish my original point and we come on to that. What I was going to say is that Cardiff City Stadium is, is obviously much better than Ninian Park ever was in terms of seats and facilities. It lacks the atmosphere of Ninian Park, don't get me wrong. But there's a, there's a disconnect between the club and the community yeah. that isn't there. Yeah. You, know, you know, It used to be much easier for children to get involved and families to have days out. There's this disconnect, and it began with the shirt change. Mm. In, when saying that today, obviously when we were seeing Salah's, uh, yeah. um, Salah's memorial, yeah. I pointed out to Marcus, and I thought this was brilliant, they do a Flex 5, I think it was called, wasn't it? A Flex 5, which was 120 quid for an mm. adult, mm. and you pay, you've got two Class A matches, which were City, mm. United, Liverpool, Spurs, mm. Chelsea, and then you had two and three games from Class B or C, which were pretty much every other club in the Premier League. Yeah. And for 120 quid, I think that was an absolute bargain, which is kind of maybe, as you say, you, you, you're going to say about the shirt fit, Maybe it's them trying to give back to the community and trying to say, right, we need to sort our right. fan base. I, I, I'll answer that. I'll right. answer that. I think a lot of damage was done with the whole shirt debacle because, you, you know, traditions are like trees. A tree takes hundreds of years to grow and to mature and develop. One act of vandalism can destroy it. And a football club is the same thing. It was there before we arrived. We wanted to be there after we're gone. And you don't just casually change the colour of a football club. You just do not do it. No. But with Vincent Tan saying, oh, where I come from in Malaysia, blue is a, a colour of mourning and it's a colour of bad luck. Red is a lucky colour. And he said, look, all the British clubs that have succeeded <coughs> in red and all this. And then you create a new club logo, which looks like a badly designed beer mat. Um, and a lot of people, I'm afraid, left the club for good at that point, And some have still not come back. Like you. With me, it runs a bit deeper than that because I, I'm a bit concerned with some of the company Vincent Tan keeps and com- some of his business associates in Malaysia. Oh, some of his birthday videos. His birthday video. Or look them up on social media if you want to, folks. I'm not going into that now. They're but, funny. They're worth the look. Uh, yeah, they are. Vincent, Vincent, Tan's, Vincent Tan's staff made in birthday musical tributes. It is literally should be renamed WTF. Uh, yeah, I, 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 we don't I, need to say what that stands yeah, for. But we, we know, know what, what it stands, stands for. for. Yeah. And I think that's the only example. As but, I said but, to but, Marcus but, when he visited, what? I think you're right to say that moves have been made to, to get the fans back on board, and that much I do agree with. But it's, it, and again, obviously, this whole Salah situation has put everything in perspective, and I mean everything. But it is a long way back to, to regain the loyalty of old fans. And I'm not the, we're not the only club in this position by any means. A lot of top flight clubs, there is a disconnect between the fans and the owners. And I think non-league football has an authenticity about it. And I think that is something that's appealed to you in particular, with the way, particularly the way Charlton Athletic has been this last few years. Oh, I'm, I'm completely disillusioned by Charlton at the end of the day. You know, mm. I've grown up not really being interested in football until I got to my secondary school. Because mm. being from South London originally... The you local, came from more the of a rugby fan. No, well, yeah, well, I played rugby. I was mm. playing it 
every night after school with school. Yeah. I was playing at a weekend for school on a Saturday and I was playing for club rugby on a Sunday, which I'd be training or a match. Yeah. And it was a life. My dad ended up being a referee and he ended up refereeing for the, not a high level, but you know, the, mm. the, the club rugby's that you'd say, the club Sunday clubs, Sunday league rugby. Mm. And then um, it's only because my friends and stuff were getting into football, I started really following Charlton and to the plight of the Premier League and I've been hooked I was part of the band there for a few years you which were. was a lot of fun and then unfortunately Ronan Du Chatelet took over God it must have been coming up to four years now I think mm. and it's completely ruined and ripped the heart and soul out of that club we had just been promoted to League One okay. yeah. and we had gone to um, we'd gone to League One with, uh, with Chris Powell who completely ripped the old team out who no one, they didn't care who they were playing for the club the old owners completely re- reinvested in the club we came back and Roland came put all this money in mm. he says he did um, brought his players that he apparently his chief scout was apparently someone that watched videos on YouTube and thought it's a kid and look it up on the internet I can't remember his name it evades me and then that's just disillusioned me it's an expensive situation to go up there now as it is any sort of league one championship Premier League club especially mm. but I look at it as a fact is the last time I went up to Charlton as a ground it was a midweek game last year and my car got broken into Yeah, and I that was kind that. of like that cost me well I had insurance so it cost me I think it's 70 quid excess and that's not what you want when you go to full ground I parked in that area for years and years and years mm. and that had been the issue so when I moved to Worthing last December in 2017 so just over a year ago I knew the football club was there and then I'd been going and going and going and thinking right let me let me go and check this out so one night Vicky my wife was away we um I thought you know what we're going to play in I think it was one of the sort of southern cup games it wasn't a league game and yes they lost I think it was 3-1 that night but there was something that kept me there and I really like the charm you were literally pitch side you're mm. pretty much as close as a linesman is to the pitch mm. as I said you can have a beer right next to the pitch which I think is a shame that football you can't do anymore Saying but that, there's though, good I've reasons why you well, can't do that there yeah. is good reasons but I've also heard of recent times they are talking about possibly allowing it again in the stands mm. which I think sensibly is acceptable can, can, can we explore that a little bit then because you may well be aware of this, but there's been issues in Wales and Welsh Rugby Internationals the last few years where the, the people have got far too drunk in the Principality Stadium and there's been quite serious problems at Welsh Rugby Internationals. Mm. Friends of mine who've been stewards in particular have said to me that there's been a, a noticeable decline in the standard of behaviour. Wow. Welsh Rugby Internationals seem to attract a lot of event-goers nowadays, people who don't really follow the Pro 14 or the, or the Guinness Premiership, Aviva Premiership in England. Mm. Those are uh, there for a piss-up. Uh, well, yeah, you know, we, 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 you're, you're, yeah. you're right to say that. But you go to the Pro 14 matches, whether it's the Cardiff Blues or any of the Ospreys or the Scarlets or, or the Dragons, and you see people stood on the terraces with a pint in their hand, no problem whatsoever. And there is a nice camaraderie and a nice atmosphere. And there's that in non-league football as well. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think... But you, it, look at, it, you look at the one thing we say that alcohol has been a deficit for hmm. is the one thing that both of us are interested in and it's the PVC darts. Uh, yeah. And right, that's completely off on a different tangent from where we're on football. Hmm. But you look at how the darts, I used, you know for a fact, I started going to the PVC World Championship every year. I would make sure I'd go to a session. Yeah. And the last year I went, I came out soaked in beer because a load of people that decided to... Hmm throw quite expensive beer that was coming you got you had to buy it in jugs so yeah. it was, I think about 20 quid mm. for five pint jugs mm. four quid a pint yeah. and they decided to throw it over each other they're not watching the darts they're chanting each other chanting the tables chanting the seats and that is where you look at it but then you can go to the non-league football okay completely different sport completely different, but you can you see old guys old boys that have been probably going as long as most of the football club yeah. you know a lot of them don't get me wrong have got which I don't really understand why you would because I'd never wear a Charlton shirt at a Worthing game but you see some people wearing Brighton shirts Portsmouth shirts due to the vicinity normally younger kids but there's that sort of camaraderie where you've got the old boys the young boys all sitting there having a pint having a chat it's all all I'd say is is all non-league football's got that sort of experience and maybe you're down the pub on a Saturday with a couple of your mates you're having a pint but there's a football game going on in the back garden and I think that's what's really nice and it's really charming it's got a really good atmosphere it's hard to explain I mean, one of my friends, Simon, takes the mick out of me for going and being this Worthing fan, but 
I think he's slightly endeared by it now. Mm. And I think anyone would go, hopefully I'll get Marcus along to a game one time. Yeah, when I visit you, I'll, 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 I'll certainly um, do that. Because when he came to visit in the new year, they just played. The day I picked him up from the station, mm. they just played. And I come from, a, I think it was a 2-1 win, or 2-0 win it was that day. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd recommend to anyone to go and see it and see the atmosphere. I, I can compare it to from seeing on the TV, is that Scorcio, or what did you say it was called? Scorio. Scorio, well, which well, was like the live Saturday night uh, matches on the scene. That, that's something I'm glad you mentioned because, okay, so the, the FAW created the Welsh Premier League. It was originally called the League of Wales. It's now called the Welsh Premiership. And a lot of the non-league teams resigned from the English pyramid to be a part of this because they felt they had to. Were they in non-league England before uh, English non-league league They were. A lot of them resigned. Oh, really? this, this was the issue. When was this? Early 90s, early to mid. So out, they would have been playing teams like Werben and stuff. Oh, yeah, they would have done. Yeah, okay. They would have done it because it was regional. There was, uh, I think, at that time. <coughs> yeah, south, we're the south. Yeah. There's, a couple of, there's the Iceman division, which is the Bostick, which were yeah. there in, and then we got another one, which I can't even remember what it is. It's very confusing. So, so what happened was, apart from Newport County, Merthyr Tidfil, and Colwyn Bay, who stuck with the English system and faced the consequences of that, Newport, as I said, were exiled into England for a period, couldn't play their matches in Wales. The rest all resigned and joined this Welsh Premier League. And we've now reached a situation... In the early years, back the old Barry Town were dominant, and then John Fashnu bought them for a period. Um, but now we've reached the stage where, with the exception of Cardiff Net, it's very much a North Wales thing, it seems to me. You know, you're looking at um, Port Madog and Balor and places like that. Um, and, and, yeah, you, you, you've seen... I've sent you screenshots of S4C on a Saturday night because they show these games live on there. Prime time. They do. X Factor on ITV, football and S4C. Yeah, Welsh Premiership football. But uh, you think there's a, it will be similar because the football will be to a similar standard, really. Mm. Um, but uh, there is a certain charm to football at that level. And how can I put this? An authenticity. And I'm actually glad you mentioned PDC Darts because I am a big Darts fan, as you know. And my memory goes back to the very early days of the PDC when it formed in the early 1990s. Mm. Which I hope we find out more of in the future from you, because I know you've got a good knowledge I, I, bank of that. I, I, I have, and I'm actually in the very early stages of a book about the history of, 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 of all that, which I'm, I'm looking forward to. We'll talk more about that in the future. But, you know, I remember the first PDC World Championship, 1994, Dennis Priestley won mm-hmm. it. The first prize was £14,000. Following year, Phil Taylor won it, beat Priestley in the final. £12,000. Is it going to be a million next year? No, no. It went up to half a million this year. They're going to try and get it to a million. I don't think... I don't know if that's... What's it next year? Is it going to be... Well, it was half a million this year. The winner or the pool? The money pool? It was... The overall pool is a million. Yeah, Yeah. the overall pool. It's half a million. Yeah, half a million for the winner. And obviously you saw what happened. I guess it depends on the sponsorship. But it was... was, Well, Michael Van Gerwen won it and he beat uh, Michael Smith in the final. Um, it was quite a convincing victory. It, it, it was. It wasn't a end. classic final. But what I'm saying is, I, look, players had to mortgage their houses to be PDC shareholders. People put their necks on the line. And I think we should always remember, two things I would say, always remember those who put their necks on the line. By that, I mean the late Tommy Cox, died last year, Dick Alex, yeah. all of those 16 players, the Bristows, the Lowe's, the Priestleys, the Taylors, the Warreners of this world. Yeah. Let's all remember them. You've uh, got to. Because... What I'm saying is, James, they dug the well. Yeah. Others are now drinking from that well. And I think that is, that is something we should never forget. And those days in the Circus Tavern, I would absolutely love to experience a night of darts in the Circus Tavern in Perfleet and in I was Essex. Because the first year I was going to go to the darts was yeah. the first year at the Alley Pally. So I missed out by a year. But you, you, you look at the old footage of that, right? You had... What was the Sid Waddle? Sid um, Waddell. The, the um, famous thing, you could hear the feeling of sizzling on that tune. Well, he said that quite recently, yeah. comparatively recently. The greatest darts match of all time was the 2007 PDC World Final between Phil Taylor and Raymond Van Barneveld, which went down to sudden yeah, death. Yeah, I remember that. And he said, Barney's you, can hear, first you can hear the vinegar sizzling on a chip. Right? And that was his line. Because, this, all right, the Circus Tavern per fleet is kind of in the middle of nowhere. But the sort of people that attended it were genuine darts fans. Yeah. They were the real deal, yeah? Um, they were, you know, you didn't go there in your fancy dress and you, d- you didn't go there just down beers. You were there to watch darts and you were there because you appreciated darts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
that was a big, big factor in the 1990s. And okay, the standard of the darts you would have seen in the 1990s if you go on YouTube or watch Sky Sports Classics or what have you, not the standard we see today. Yeah. But in terms of atmosphere, it was ahead because they were the real deal. Nowadays at the Ali Pali, and particularly at Premier League darts, I think, on Thursday nights between February and May, you know, you've got people, it's, it's the works Christmas party at the Alley Pally, it's the fancy dress, it's people... Oh, oh yeah, we, we, Mardell's favourite fancy oh, dress. Yeah. We, we, we've been drinking all afternoon and let's carry on drinking yeah. all night. And it, 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 I, I know from personal experience, people I've spoken to, that it puts off some of the players. But, OK, a lot more money in darts nowadays, very, very obviously, as I just gave a comparison, we've gone from a £12,000 first prize to a £500,000 first prize. But a price has been paid in other ways, don't you think? Yes, I think it has. It's been paid a lot better. Mm. Um, and the quality is getting better. And it's nice to see new... You know, I, I was quite happy when Phil obviously stood down and you know moved because I wasn't his number one fan. I can't dispute what a great player he was. I cannot dispute that. It's great to see Van Gerwen you know, coming out after that horrible, horrible first match where he got a pint of beer. Oh, there there we are. There we are. This like is what that. I'm talking about. Let's talk about that. That first round match he had at the Ali Pali in December... He was getting ready to do his walk-on, and someone threw a, a glass of beer over well, him. Hope it was beer. Well, whatever it was, it was a disgrace. And that, okay, that person has been dealt with and has been banned from PDC darts for life. But I'm sorry, James. I'm sorry that would not have happened at the Circus no, Tavern. No, but also the fact is, is you saw how sturdy he was, and he was upset, and he was. He was. He was. And I can understand that. And I can. I can understand that. Yeah, he should. have What a waste of beer as well, especially the price they were paying mm. four quid plus a pint. So going back to the whole PDC thing, we've seen how the crowds have changed and how that has changed behaviour. Let me just ask you this question on the subject of the splitting darts. Just pretend you're that person, right? Pretend you're Phil Taylor, right? You won the 1990 yeah. World Championship, right? You beat your, your, your mentor, Bristow, in the final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 1993, you played Mike Gregory in the final, in a classic final at the Lakeside, and you won it. Mm-hmm. 1994, the politics is starting up, and the, what was then called the WDC was, yeah, yeah. was happening. How, and Phil has said this since. He was close, you know, to asking his old boss for his job back yeah. in the factory in Stoke-on-Trent. Because and look at the money he's made now. Well, well, yeah. But do you think you will have had? You do you think you will have had, if you were in that position, the bottle to say, if I have to remortgage my house, I will to become a PDC yeah, shareholder. You'd have to be passionate about it. I would not risk my house, right? Well, it, you can't say what it was like that that those many years ago. But I know nowadays I'd never risk my house and my welfare and my family to be in that, because that was what a number of players did. So Marcus is back from the bar. Yep. What pint have you got this time? This is the Welsh Pale Ale from um, the Glamorgan Brewery. Where's oh, a cheers. Very nice cheers. one, Glamorgan Brewery. Normally, as I say, I have brains every time I come to Wales. And I will be having some more brains before the night's out. Well, probably mine. Maybe not before the night's out, because I've got some Dark Star from local brewery in Partridge Green near where I live that I bought for Marcus. It'll probably have a couple of pints when we go out to the flat. But... Um, I say cheers to Tim Martin, the, well, the owner of Weatherspoons and a staunch Brexit supporter, like me and Marcus. So here's to Mr. Martin. Well, cheers to Tim Martin, my former employer. Um, story there, the Tim Martin, when I used to work as a Weatherspoons barman, going back, this would be the summer of 2003, so a fair while ago now. But the story of Tim Martin is in one of, they used to put these VHS training videos on and they tell us all about Tim Martin. And one of his stories was that... He had a pub chain, and the first one he had in New Zealand, the first pub or two or three pubs, whatever, didn't work. So he tried again. It didn't work, so he started another lot from scratch. And this time it did work, and he thought, I had a teacher at school who told me I'd never make it in life. His name was Mr. Weatherspoon. So That's I'd, why it's called it Weatherspoon? Yeah. Shut up. That's where the name comes from. Mine, that, that is absolutely true. And he thought I'd call it Weatherspoons. And Serious? Yep, yeah, that's where the name comes from. It was a teacher who told him he'd never make it in life. And that is, I, I never knew that. Yeah. And the thing about Tim... I always wonder why it's called Weatherspoons. The thing about Tim is this. I was only there as a summer job, but there were some senior staff there who'd been there a lot longer. As junior staff was, I was there seven weeks. I was the longest, one of the longest-serving junior staff. But the managers always said that Tim comes around all our bars and all our pubs and checks us out every once in a while, once every six months or so. He's been here. He will have been here. He goes to all of them. Does he come to the openings? Well, I don't know about that, but apparently, you know, he's there. He wears, yeah. typically wears a black polo shirt and a pair of trousers. Mm. 
carries all his paperwork in plastic bags. Or like Tesco bags. Yeah, yeah, whatever he's got. He doesn't know briefcases or anything like that. And if you've been working there a while, he remembers your name. That's nice. So if he went, he was here a year ago, six months ago. Hello, Sarah, how's it going? You know, Did I don't... you ever meet him? No, because I was only there yeah, seven weeks. But he never came in over no, that summer. No, no. But well, that... you need to come and try those blooming lovely Glamorgan Welsh sausages that I've had in here a few times. What are they, the chilli spiked ones with some mashed potatoes? Oh, yeah, you're, do, you're doing well, and I have, to, I have to say this to you, Tim, if you're listening, is that those pizzas you've got on here now are absolutely delicious. They look very nice. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I would say that. So I that, mean, the, I had the steak tonight, and the, the steak was the, bloody the, good. The thing about t- t- Tim Martin is he's one of these people, and I can relate to this in a certain level, you're always one of life's outsiders, whether, yeah. you, whether you realise it or not. He was a Eurosceptic even when I was working for them in 2003. He was a, a solid, dyed-in-the-wool Eurosceptic. And he played a pivotal role in the 2016 Brexit referendum. And that put him up against many of the big establishment companies. But he has been consistent in his belief and steadfast in his belief. And I think, look, we're recording this, what, a month and two weeks before Brexit oh, is, is due to happen. Already. Yeah, it is. We're, we're six. We're six weeks away now. So, assuming it all goes happens when it's supposed to, we are looking at potentially. Look, if the world doesn't fall in, we've won the argument. In effect, because every four horsemen of the apocalypse prophecy has been made about food shortages, no medicines, no this, that, and the other. And I'm not saying under a no deal scenario there wouldn't be significant problems. I've talked about this at length in our Brexit briefing podcast and on my appearances on Radio Sputnik, my appearances on other radio shows. I've said I do not want no deal. But even in the worst case scenario, life in this country is going to continue. Um, and, and Tim Martin has kind of demonstrated this in his last few months in yeah, Weatherspoons yeah. with taking certain items off the menu and putting new ones on. Um, we have seen what, what's been removed from what's it, it recently. Now I'm looking in front of the menu right well, here. The champagne is well, gone. One of the things is Jaeger bombs is gone. There's now a striker bomb, mm. which is mm. an English version of it. That's right, that's right. Are they any good? We had one. Um, it's all right, though. Not is it not like the egg bomb? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shorts and shots yeah, no, are not yeah, my yeah. thing. This is James and the barman <laughs> discussing this. <laughs> Um, but but yeah, the, the thing about Tim Martin is he's always been one of life's outsiders and he went mm. well and truly against the grain by being a Eurosceptic. Yeah. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. I really do, because he, there's some, an in-house magazine here that's yeah. got Eurosceptic articles in it. Are we taking time to have a read of it? And, right, yeah. and uh, you know, going back to the old days, 2003, when I was saying he was a Eurosceptic then, it's not just a bandwagon and he's jumped on, this has been a matter of principle mm. for him. And this is, this is a great British success yeah. story. This is a great British yeah. success story. Well, every plenty time. of Weatherspoons around my, my end. This is a yeah. lovely one. I love it. And what they do is they take over old buildings and they do them up sympathetically. Yeah, they're nice. You know, I, I can think of one place in the south of England somewhere where um, it was an opera house and they took it over as a Weatherspoons, but yet they still stage opera there a couple of times well, the a month. The famous one that I always love is the one that you took me to to my first pint of brains. The Prince of Wales, Prince of Wales which was a theatre. Central yeah. Station. Yeah. 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 I didn't yeah. believe him at first. <laughs> that was in 2006. I took James to have his first ever pint of Brains essay yeah. in the Prince of Wales when he was visiting Cardiff. Absolutely true. Yeah, and I can't get it. I can't get it back home. I can't get it back home in the south. So every time I'm here, I've just been down to Costco today to get a crate of it. Yeah, take home. You can't get it back home. Oh yeah, lovely beer, absolutely. mate. Lovely beer. Absolutely. So, yep, everything you heard there, mm-hmm. guest starring the barman, is, is true. Fine, but, but anyway, James, this has been an absolute pleasure. We've covered non-league Cheers, football, mate. we've covered darts, oh, we've it. covered um, the hollowing out, the, 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 yeah, the hollowing out of football, the way it's the, we, the, the connect between the club and the fans has been lost. So, thank you for listening to this podcast, and we'll catch you again. Thank you, Mr. Barman. What's your name, sir? Connor. Connor. That was guest starring Connor as well. We've turned him into a worldwide star. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, it's goodbye.